0: All right, um, grab your Bibles. We have uh, been in a series called Made To. We've been talking about things that God has made us to be or made us to do in this series. So kind of um, looking at the way that we're designed and the way that God has fashioned us and kind of um, filling in some of those, some of those uh, places. Um, Part one was called Made to Receive God's Love. We talked about the fact before you can be someone who is an extravagant lover of God, of people, you have to be a person who can receive love. Many Christians are not good receivers of God's love, but in order to overflow, we have to be good receivers. And then last week, um, Pastor Emily, didn't she do a great job? Come on, let's give her a hand. She did a message called Made to Run. She talked about running the race that God has marked out for us. If you missed her message, go back and listen to it. Uh, Today, we're going to do part three. The title of our message today is called Made to be Confident in God's Love. I wanna talk about Godfidence, right? Confidence in God's love. One of the marks of a strong believer is that strong believers are constantly growing in their confidence of God's love towards them, God's affections towards them. If you show me a believer, show me a believer who has strong confidence in God's love for them, and I'll show you a strong believer. Show me a believer who, who periodically or constantly questions and, and deals with shame, guilt, condemnation. Show me one of those believers, and I'll show you a believer who, who does not maintain strong spiritual strength. Okay, here's my point. We cannot thrive spiritually without confidence in God's affections for us. If you want to thrive spiritually, you must be convinced of his love for you. This is spiritual warfare. This is spiritual warfare. People are like, you're doing a love message. It's like, okay, give us some of the deep stuff. You know, go to the deep stuff. Listen, this is the deep stuff. It actually says in the last days, in the end times, that most people's love will wax cold. The love of most will, will fail. And so the love message is the most important message. Being confident of God's love, letting that fill us so that we can pour out. Here's the deal. Even in our weakness in our immaturity, and sometimes even in our failures, we must be confident in God's love for us. Ephesians 3 17 and 19, we, we uh, read this a couple weeks ago. Paul says this, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, notice what we're rooted and established in. Amen. You wanna be rooted and established in God, you gotta be rooted and established in in his love for you knowing and knowing being established in, and being confident in God's affections God's love for you is so important here's the deal God desires for you for you to have confidence in his love for you he wants to have confident children he doesn't want fearful children who always feel like they're living on the edge of a cliff God wants confident children who are sure of um, his love for them. Um, you know how those, I don't, I don't know where this actually originated from. I think it's, I think it's perhaps France or whatever, but you know how like little kids are growing up and they're like, well, I think primarily girls do this, but I've never seen boys do this, but they get a flower and they're like, there's a boy that they like or whatever. And like, he loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. Right. This is kind of like, and then you get to the end and I guess if it, the last one is he loves me, like he loves you. Okay, great. But this is how a lot of believers actually live. It's like, yes, I believe he loves me. Oh, he loves me not. Um, He he enjoys me. He enjoys me not. He delights in me. He delights not in me. He's for me. He's not for me. A lot of Christians live this way and, and, and the the way that they view the love of God for them is almost kind of like a, a roulette. It's like a like a lucky lucky, a lucky draw of the day or whatever, okay? Um, but that's not the case, that's not the way God's love is. He's not um, back and forth, he's not up and down, his love is steady. I wanna make a crucial distinction to being rooted and established in God's love. And so I'm gonna kinda of front load this sermon with, with the why. Um, but if you're going to thrive spiritually long-term, you need to get what I'm about to say. And this is probably the most important key takeaway of this message. I'll give it to you up front and then we'll, we'll build on it. But here's the key takeaway of this whole message. Our confidence in God is not rooted in our love for Him. It's rooted in His love for us. Our confidence in God is not rooted in our love for Him, be that as it may, and, and that's great. You know, loving God is great. That's, that's of course we should. But our confidence in him is not rooted in how great we can do and and how hard we can love him. No, it's rooted in his affections towards us. If you base base your confidence in the Lord on your performance, uh, you will inevitably come to the end of your ability and falter. You'll inevitably come to the end of your ability. Okay, that is a false foundation. Okay, your ability to Uh, God, look how much I love you. Look how strong I am. That is a false foundation. Now, that's awesome to love him. It's awesome to demonstrate that. But it's not awesome to have that your foundation. Why? Because you'll come to the end of that place at some point in your life. However, being established in his love for you is a sure foundation. Okay. The apostle Peter is a good example of someone who had confidence in their love for God. Okay, Um, during the last supper, before Jesus went to trial and was crucified, Jesus said this to his disciples in Matthew uh, 26. It, It says this, then Jesus told them, "'This very night you will all fall away on account of me, "'for it is written, I will strike the shepherd "'and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. "'But after I have risen, you will go ahead of me "'into Galilee.'" Now watch this, Peter's about to boast in his love for Jesus, okay? Verse 33, Peter replied, Even if all fail, all fall away on account of you, I, will, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Notice Peter's confidence in his devotion and his love for Jesus. He's so sure of himself. He's so confident of himself. And all the other disciples were as well. And of course, Peter's the poster child of the group. You can read on in verse uh, 56 that that, um, they all, all of them deserted and fled. And of course, we know what happened with Peter. Exactly what Jesus said happened. He denied him three times. Here's what I wanna ask you guys today. Have you ever been in this boat? Have you ever had seasons of, Uh, where you're taking faith risks for God, you're sacrificially giving, Uh, you're boldly witnessing, you've you've endured persecution for the Lord. There's there's secret temptations behind the scenes and you've endured those temptations. You haven't given into them when no one was looking. You did it because you knew the eyes of the Lord were on you, right? You're boldly witnessing, you're giving, you're just these seasons of, just banner seasons in the Lord. Perhaps your confidence was so strong in the Lord you thought I would even die for him. And then all of a sudden just when you think you're so de- devoted and faithful to the Lord you get slammed with the fact that you're still weak and immature and very much in process. Have you ever been there? In fact, I think it is maybe those times where it's like, man, I'm doing I'm doing good, you know, look at me. I've, I'm like giving a lot, I'm serving a lot, I'm like praying for people, things are happening. You start to get a little bit confident in what? Your ability, your devotion, love for the Lord. And that is a false foundation. It's a sure place where you could get tripped up and fail. Perhaps you've had a powerful history with God. And one day you suddenly found yourself denying him, perhaps through your actions, perhaps through your conduct, or maybe even like the disciples, you denied him with your words and you were shocked by the sin that was still living within you, the sin that you thought was completely dead. Have you ever been shocked by your own frailty? Have you ever been shocked by your own maturity? Where you thought, man, I thought I was doing this good, I thought I was a mature believer, and then you're actually shocked by how messed up you actually got and how messed up you actually were. Have you ever been there? I've been there before as a believer. Unfortunately, what happens many times after that is feelings of guilt, shame, condemnation, and even fear of rejection creep in. This is why it's so essential for us to be established in his love for us and not our love and devotion for him. Today, I wanna talk to, well, everyone, but particularly um, a group of people that are maybe here who periodically Or perpetually, you deal with the negative emotions of condemnation, guilt, and shame. I want to help you grow in confidence in the Lord. Amen. That's all of us, but I think for sure there's a few of us here that you're just riddled with guilt, shame, uh, condemnation, and fear often. So we're going to talk about growing in confidence with the Lord. Point number one, Pastor Emily preached this in her sermon last week, but it bears repeating how do we grow in confidence in the Lord, the love of the Lord? Number one, realize that we start from the finish line. Okay, Emily. Emily talked about this last week. It's a great point. Jesus ran a race to get you into heaven, and our race begins having been accepted, having been valued, having been forgiven, having been redeemed. Okay, we start at the finish line. Jesus on the cross. Watch this, John. Um, John chapter 19, 28 through 30. This is Jesus on the cross. Uh, He's about to die. After this, Jesus, knowing all things were now accomplished that scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop uh, and put it to his, his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up the spirit. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, to be continued. (laughs) I'm going to leave off here. They're going to pick it up later. The whole redemption, redeeming themselves to make themselves right with God. I've I've gotten them 95% of the way, but they're going to finish. No, he didn't say any of that, did he? He said, it is finished. Here's what I want to say to you, church. Everything that can be done to make you right with God has been done. Everything that can be done has been done. Jesus accomplished it all on the cross. What do we have to do? We just have to receive it. We receive it by faith and we, we just bow our knee to his lordship. That's how we receive it. It's a free gift. Um, I want to illustrate this a little bit. Um, how many of you ever see those? Maybe this is some of you. You see those bumper stickers on the back of cars and um, they're runners. Like Runners like to brag. I'm a runner. I don't. I mean, maybe I brag a little bit. I don't know. But, but they'll have a bumper sticker that says like 3.1. Okay, that's a 5K. They ran a 5K. So they put, put 3.1 on their car. Yippee. You know. Or uh, 6.2. That's a 10K. Uh, 13.1. That's a half marathon. 26.2 is a full marathon. Okay. Um, I've done some of these. I've actually done all these. But I don't have any bumper stickers on my car. Just so you know. But I definitely put it on social media. So... I will say the one bumper sticker I definitely want to get my wife and I are on a quest to um, climb all of Colorado's 14ers and they have like a, like a 14ers, like you complete them all bumper sticker. I will get that one if I ever get all of those done. So, um, and then I saw this one the other day. I was thinking about this in my sermon, but then I saw this one the other, go ahead and put up that picture. And I was like, 5.56. It took me a minute to figure this out. I'm like, like it was almost a 10K? Like you almost like, what is 5.56? How many know what, what this is? Okay, it's all men for the record. And that's because 5.56 five, is a caliber of a bullet. So it's the like official NATO round or whatever. Um it took me a minute. I was like, what is 5.56? Okay. And then and then you have these kinds of people. Go up and put up the next one. Zero <laughs> point zero. How many of how many of these folks we got in the house here? Some zero point zero people, okay? And I, they're like, yeah, I don't do that. That's not my thing. <laughs> zero point zero. But this is what I want to illustrate is in the Lord, in Jesus, we're not we're not running to gain approval. We're running from approval. We're not running to gain acceptance. We're running from acceptance. We're not trying to get to heaven. We're actually running, having been seated with Christ in heavenly places, knowing that we're heaven bound. This Now we're running a race with confidence in God. Now we're confident children, right? We're not, we're not trying to um, work hard so to love us. We're like, perhaps you'll work hard for the Lord. That, there's nothing wrong with that. But we're doing it as confident children, knowing who we are in Christ Jesus. We start from the finish lane. <clears throat> now, as Emily said last week, you do have a race to run. You do have a race to run that God has marked out for you, but that race is not for us to get to heaven. It's um, that we run a race that God has marked out for us. Now I'll read the scripture real quick. Hebrews 12:1 and 2. Emily talked about this last week. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, all right? We're not not running for approval, we're running from approval, amen? Okay, so that's point number one. How do we grow in confidence, God's love? We start from the finish line, so good. Everything we do from this point out, it's like extra credit. Everything we do in life now is extra credit, you know? Serving the Lord, witnessing for the Lord, Um, all of it it just builds on top of what Jesus already did for us. Okay, point number two, how do we grow in confidence, God's love? We need to realize that God was the initiator. This relationship that you've been brought into by the Lord, realize that he initiated this relationship. It was his idea, okay? Um, Yes, perhaps there was a heart response at some point of the way, but he initiated it. Let's look at 1 John 4, 16 through 19. Man, these are, these are so good scriptures. Um, we know and rely on the love God has for us. Notice what he didn't say. We know and rely on our devotion and love to God. No, he says, we know and rely on the love he has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence <laughs> On the day of judgment, God wants us to have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. We, we love because he first loved us. The only reason you have anything to overflow, anything to produce out of your own heart is because he was the initiator and he loved us first. We know and rely on the love God has for us. We don't rely on our love for God. Why? Because just like Peter, our love has limits, right? And we know that he loved us first. Um, <clears throat> typically and traditionally, men are the, initiators and the pursuers of romantic relationships. Okay. Not always, but typically men are the pursuers. Right. Um, and this was, this was certainly the case with my wife and I, in fact, um, my wife prayed for, she doesn't know what I'm going to say. She looks nervous. Um, <laughs> she's like, eh. um, my wife actually prayed and she's like, God, I want to, I want a guy who I, I could tell no to a, a few times, and he won't give up. I want a guy, right? Am I right? Yeah. She's like, I want a guy who, he's persistent, he's consistent, and I'm going to tell him no, but he'll still come back because he's a persistent, that's what she wanted, right? You, you want that kind of guy, okay? Someone who wouldn't easily give up. Um, and she did say no a few times. She was like, no, 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 but I was persistent <laughs> and charming, if I might add so, if I might add And she caved. Yeah. <laughs> but listen, you need to know, the only reason you have any love to offer up to God is because he pursued you first. He wooed your heart. He won your heart. He pursued us. He pursued us and won us over. Um, look at what Romans 5, 6 and uh, 6 eight says, says this. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. Verse eight, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we had done anything good or bad, Christ was the initiator. While we were still enemies, it says later on in this passage of scripture in Romans 5, That we were enemies of God, estranged from it, and he died for us. He was the initiator, and he won our hearts. That's point number two. Point number three, how do we grow in confidence in God's love? Point number three is you need to see yourself from God's perspective. This is super important. You need to see yourself from God's perspective. When we fail, it's easy to see ourselves from our perspective, it's easy to judge ourselves from our perspective. It's easy to condemn ourselves from our perspective. But if we're going to have growing confidence in God's love, we must, you must absolutely abandon the view of yourself to adopt God's view for you. Okay? Come on. You have to abandon your view of yourself. This is, this is so crucial. Colossians chapter 1, uh, 21 through 22 Paul says this. He says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Okay, why Why were we alienated from God? Well, where were we alienated from God? We were alienated in our minds. Why? Because of our evil behavior. We knew what our e- evil behavior was. Here's the deal. You and I were wired for justice. You, were, you know when you, ever, you start watching a movie and at the very beginning of the movie there's like an injustice that happens. And you're like, even if you don't like, oftentimes, even if you don't like the movie, you'll watch the whole movie because you have to see that thing come to justice, right? How many, it's so hard to like, you see an injustice in the movie and just like, I want to turn it off now. It's like, no, you want to see that thing dealt with why. We're wired for justice. We're, we as humans are wired for justice. Well, listen, it's kind of the same thing with with our own hearts and our own minds. We, we see ourselves as having failed and We know we're guilty, and in our minds, we even judge ourselves. We saw ourselves as guilty. What happened? We were alienated from God in our minds because of our evil behavior. But watch this. Notice it isn't necessarily God who's alienating alienating us. It's us alienating ourselves in our minds because of our evil behavior. Verse 22, watch this. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight— without blemish and free from accusation in his sight. Okay, here's the deal. It's in his sight. We're holy, without blemish, and free from accusation in his sight. Okay, we're alienated from from God in our minds because of our evil behavior in our sight, but he says because of what Jesus did, we're holy, righteous, and blameless in his sight. If we're going to get free of guilt, shame, and condemnation, we have to abandon our perspective and get his perspective, okay? And here's the deal. I, I say, if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for me. It's like, if I'm only blameless and righteous in your sight, like, I'll, yeah, I'll take it. But you have, to make, you have to be intentional about this because those, those thoughts of condemnation guilt, shame, fear, those things will creep up and you have to be intentional with them and say, no God, I thank you, that's not who you created me to be. Those things that I did, those things um, that are under the blood that you've forgiven me for, those things are in my past and I thank you, God, that's not who I am anymore. Now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, amen? You have to take these things and enforce enforce the victory. We must, this is what you have to do. You have to enforce this truth to your guilty conscience. We have to enforce this truth to our guilty consciences, okay? Um, this is spiritual warfare because most of spiritual warfare actually happens here in your minds. And there's the, the, the battlefield of the mind. The enemy loves to play with the battlefield of our mind. But if we have scriptures like this that we can stand on and saying that, hey, my past is under the blood of Jesus, I'm holy, righteous, and blameless in his sight, well, then I'm just gonna believe what he says about me. I'm gonna abandon my view of justice and I'm just gonna go with his view of justice, It'll change your life. The Bible says that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he'll, he'll accuse in every which direction possible. He's, the, he's constantly sowing division. He's constantly uh, accusing. He'll accuse you against me, me against you, you to God, God to you. He's the accuser. This is like what he does. Here's the other thing he will do. He will accuse you against you. Okay, that's one of the things the accuser of the brother does. Because listen, Satan knows he can't get God to accuse you if your sins are under the blood of Jesus. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you've received him, your sins are under his blood. Satan knows he can't get God to accuse you anymore because when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He sees the blood of Jesus. But perhaps he can get you to accuse you. That's a huge win for the enemy of your soul, to get you to accuse you. And what happens is it perpetuates the guilt, shame, and condemnation cycle. Because people who feel condemned are like, I, this is my view of myself, and what do people who feel this way about themselves do? The very thing that makes me feel bad. And it's a, it's a perpetual guilt-shame cycle. Come on, that's good stuff right there. First John 3, 19 and 21, it says this. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we, are, um, and how we, are, how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. When, again, God wants our hearts to be at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. That's so good. God, God is greater. If your heart condemns you, don't listen to your heart. Why? God's greater than your heart and he knows everything. He says this, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God. You need to preach to your soul. You need to preach to your mind, will, and emotions. You need to preach to your heart because your heart will condemn you. Um, sometimes, you know, I, just being a pastor for a long time, people would come to church and I'm like, yeah, I came for a while and we knew you. And then I stopped coming because like, I felt judged by you. And I'm like, I don't think that was me. I think that was your heart. Like your heart judged you. You know what I mean? Your heart condemned you. It's it's, Many times, it's definitely not God. Um, It's many times not even the enemy of our soul or other people. Sometimes it's just our own heart condemning us. What do we have to do? We have to take scriptures like Colossians 1, uh, 21 through 22 and say that I am now wholly righteous, and blameless in his sight. And I'm just gonna adopt that view because it's a better view than mine. Can I get a witness? Come on, all right. I don't know about you, but my heart has definitely condemned me. And and the enemy of your soul would love for your heart to condemn you and remind you of the things that are under the blood of Jesus. It's in those times we have to take these scriptures and preach to ourselves, preach to our own hearts. You were made to be confident in God's love for you. And I'll conclude with, with this. In John chapter... John chapter 13 concludes with Jesus telling Peter and the other disciples that you're going to deny me. Verse 38, then Jesus said, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. I don't know that a lot of people make this connection, but in the original writings here, there aren't chapter breaks. Like the chapter breaks and verses were added later on to just help us categorize and find them easily. Okay, that's how chapter 13 ends. You will disown me three times. Chapter 14 starts with this. So Jesus didn't stop talking, he just kept going. He said this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, I would not have told you that where I am going uh, that I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me uh, so that you be with me where I am. Okay. They, he, he ends chapter 13 saying, you're all, gonna, you're all gonna fail. You're gonna sin. You're gonna mess up. All of you, all of the disciples, the followers of Jesus. And they're like, no God, we're gonna prove our love to you. And Jesus says, Jesus rolls right into, do not let your hearts be troubled. See to it, that your hearts are not troubled. Listen, this is the same way with us. When we live our lives, when fear, guilt, shame, condemnation come up, you have to see to it, preach to your heart and not be troubled and put your faith and confidence in his love for you, not your love and devotion for him. And some people might think, well, Pastor Crew, if you tell people about this you know, love of God and the grace of God, they're gonna, they're gonna take advantage of it. Listen. I think people will live cleaner, more holy, more righteous, having known and been confident in God's love for them. God wants confident children, amen? When, I, when, when, uh, when uh, our youngest daughter, Evie, was little, you know, three, four, five years old, which is the cutest range of age, by the way. Um, I, remember, I remember coming home and we had a garage and a lower level with about as many steps as this to go up to our like middle level. And as soon as I opened the door, I would hear go, daddy, daddy, daddy. And then she would run around the corner and whether I'm ready or not, she would leap off the steps <laughs> and not there was, Sometimes I was like almost dropped her because she would just jump and I'd have to catch her. And I, I wish I had it on video because it happened every day for a season of our life. Uh, and then she stopped doing it. You know, I don't know why, but but I just love that picture that like, here's this confident, she's confident of my love for her. She was absolutely secure, absolutely confident in my love for her. And she was confident that I was gonna catch her. And that, listen, this is what God wants for us. He wants confident children. Listen, confident children change the world, turn it upside down for the love of Jesus. Confident children will run far and, and mess up this world and have revival, okay? And so <clears throat> there's certainly nothing wrong with declaring your love for God. But if you're gonna boast, boast in his love for you. I'm gonna pray and then we'll close. Jesus, we thank you. You did come to redeem us, Lord, but you came, God, not that we would just be fearful children that are condemned all of our lives. Lord, you came to have confident children who are confident in, in Father God's love for them, and so Lord, I just pray today for every person here, and especially those that are here, Lord, that have struggled with guilt, shame, condemnation for that thing, that that stupid thing they did, perhaps years ago. Lord, I pray you would set them free, and that that is under the, it is under the blood, it is under the blood in Jesus' name, it is under the blood. And you need to remind yourself and the enemy of your soul, anytime you think of that, that it's under the blood and that is not who you are. You are a child of God in Jesus' name. And Father, if there's anyone here who's currently in struggling with failure, Lord, I pray that they would surround themselves and open up to other people and get help and get out of that thing. But Lord, I thank you that even in the midst of that mess, even in the midst of that, being covered in mess, Lord. Perhaps it's even self-generated mess, Lord. Even in that, God, you love them. You care for them so much. All you want to do, Lord, is bring them up out of that. You don't want to condemn them. You just want to bring them up out of that. So, Lord, I just pray freedom, God, over anyone here who's stuck in something currently or freedom for anyone here who's stuck in something from the past. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.